I'm Anna Matronic. Here is the tea. A person living with HIV who is on effective treatment cannot pass it on. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the Positive Podcast. I'm Robbie Lawler. And I'm Veda, and I'm delighted that we're back together. <laughs> I know. What a crazy week we just had. I missed you, babe. Robbie and I see each other all the time, but I only have to not see him for a couple of days for me to start get very needy and greedy. <laughs> you should see the text messages. <laughs> no, but it does. It feels like a lifetime, and we don't see each other after a few days. Yeah, a very long lifetime in my case. Yeah. <laughs> I've traveled oceans of time to find you again Robbie and we're here again and we're here again in Manila tell us about your trip I'm so proud of you tell tell all the listeners about it please oh my god Veda it feels like a dream actually do you know what it was a dream sometimes I have to pinch myself like did last week just happen so I was nominated by um, an organization called ASHAM and Prevention Access Campaign which we had Bruce uh, Rafe and Michael Igadoro on who are part of the campaign um, and they asked me to come over to, to the Yugos Youth Summit which was just before the conference AIDS conference started to talk about the work that we do in Ireland yes it was really really special so I was like of course I'll come over and talk about the great work that mainly you do Veda and I think <laughs> oh it's a feather in both our caps Robbie yeah. <laughs> that's what I keep telling myself but I feel like my activism was literally just a love story to Veda and Veda's uh, energy and creative energy and brilliance and me equals me yeah <laughs> oh, me equals me <laughs> um, but it went down really well but I've been uh, then I started doing loads of work with Bruce Richmond from French and Access Campaign working on World Health Organization pressers uh, communications and working on their win-win campaign that Michael Igadoro, our previous guest, uh, created because uh, Michael just joined Prevention Access Campaign and I get to talk to all of these audiences at AIDS conferences. So they're policymakers, they're politicians, they're healthcare workers, they're activists, they're scientists and basically what the win-win message is is that you equals you should be at the heart of every decision making process at every policy of every campaign on the lips of every healthcare worker around the world and every hiv activist around the world and every single person should know that people living with hiv on effective treatment can have sex without fear we can have children without fear that's the win it's a win for us as the 38 million people living with hiv around the world this is something attainable. This is a life that we can lead, that HIV affects no one, not a single person, but us. The other win is for decision makers. Because unfortunately, when we talk to conservative politicians around the world, money talks. Human rights talks, but it's really money that talks. They need to invest in getting people access to treatment, getting them tested, making sure that they know they're undetectable because they don't have access to the same viral load testing that we do around the world. For example, in Uganda, they only have one public viral load testing uh, facility for all of Uganda that has a prevalence rate of 7% roughly of the whole population of HIV. So they don't know, what does, what does undetectable mean to them? So we need to make sure that they have the exact same access to treatment and technologies that we do. And by investing in people living with HIV, by making sure that we are healthy, by making sure that we are not stigmatized and happy, we are a strong neighbor force. We, we give, it's an investment in us to give you back money. We've seen this time and time again with economics. A healthier, um, a healthier environment means for a healthier workforce. It means for more productivity in the workplace. Um, we're not having young girls taken out of school to looking after all their siblings. 
So if people aren't educated, young girls aren't educated and are adding to the workforce. So a win-win is a win for every single person around uh, the world of HIV. Vote for Robbie Lawler. The other you, <laughs> uh, the other win is that we create money. We're, we have worth, we have financial worth and uh, we make a stronger democracy and a stronger economy. So that's the win-win and that's why it should be at the heart of every single message and that is why it should be at the heart, even the heart of our campaigns too. Ah, uh-huh. well Robbie, that's pretty much what you told me when we started this podcast. I mean, you know, not quite as beautifully put but you know, you're yeah. always a champion for you equals you and you've made me one too mm-hmm. and it's absolutely the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So thanks for that. Yeah. And the other thing that I think um, is worth mentioning is it's just so important that we create a level playing field for everybody living with HIV men, women, straight, gay, bi, trans, whatever Mm -hmm. we just need to have the same opportunities as everybody else opportunities for our career opportunities to be close with our families opportunities to take lovers to lose lovers to take more lovers to have children or not have children it just needs Mm -hmm. to be fair Mm -hmm. that's what we're working towards and I'm just going to end on this Um, UNAIDS released their uh, annual report on new HIV infections and AIDS related deaths they do it every year so what is the data telling us and their report was was called in danger so in 2021 1.5 million new infections HIV infections around the world that's over a million than what our target should be for 2021 that's a lot of red ribbon that's that's a lot of sex that's a lot of red ribbon but we know the AIDS pandemic took a life every minute in 2021, mainly among young, uh, young girls and young women. And we know that half of all infants, children born with HIV have access to treatment. So half so don't. Half don't. So uh, we're in danger. The funding has stopped because COVID-19 has taken up the majority of our funding, our health services um, funding. Uh, we still have to pay back huge international debt around the world. So they're taking money away from the HIV response. We're regressing in a time that we know we can end the HIV pandemic. That's what's happening. That's why we're in danger. And that's why our focus, although, yes, in Ireland, we still have so much to do with stigma, but our focus should never be taken off the global aspect. We should always use our privilege to try and make change globally. And that's why Robbie's starting a GoFundMe and I'm starting a GoFuckMe. <laughs> <laughs> All donations gratefully received. Shall we meet our guests? Yes. Sorry about that rant. No, but I like, love to. We genuinely are so pleased to have our next guest with us. All the way from Barcelona, originally from Austria, if I'm not mistaken. Please give it up to Christopher Klettermeyer. Uh, Kletcher Meyer, usually. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Welcome. And so, Christopher, I'm going to ask off this question because you go by two names. You've one story, but two names. Christopher Kletcher Meyer or Philip Spiegel. Why the two names? Well, um, it started um, a few months after my diagnosis in 2014. I had that urge to do something about HIV and start telling my story or writing and talking about it. But I was at the time just freshly diagnosed and I I wasn't quite sure how far I would want to go with that. And so I created this, this fake persona or pseudonym uh, under whom I started writing. And, and that sort of took me into strange directions until a point where it came, um, fuck, he's so much more quasi successful and so he, he actually has an audience and and so also to give myself credibility i decided to ditch that that other name 
I'm still not not quite sure how it ended completely. All drag queens do that, Christopher. <laughs> I love that, you know, I know it's more of a pen name than a drag name, but in my world, it'll always be a drag name. And mm-hmm. my dad created a drag character just before he passed away. He was dying of cancer and he invented this. Uh, he called him a drag character uh, called Father Jarleth. And he got a priest's outfit and his old false teeth and a toupee. And he dressed as this priest. And he appeared at a family function. And he also went to a golf function and said, Grace, you know? No. And there's something about awesome. you know, masculine men empowering themselves mm. through play <laughs> that I really enjoy. Yeah. So congratulations on your drag, darling. Thank you. I never saw it that way. <laughs> I, I always saw it more... I always saw it more as just a, a sort of force field or just a, someone to to vent, especially also in protection towards my family. Like I was always afraid that that someone would, once my name is, my actual name is public, people would approach my brother, my sister, my, my mother and ask them stupid questions as people tend to. So... Um, so there was also in, 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 in protection of them as well. But then at some point I thought, ah, screw them. <laughs> yeah, yay. We have to do that too, don't we? You got to put yourself first. A lot of the time. And, and, and we have supportive families. They don't mind taking on the questions a lot of the time because we have so much to actually answer. We have so many answers to these questions. Yeah. And a lot of the questions are fear-based or just out of ignorance. And we live in a world of information and great science now. So it's, it's not something to hide behind anymore. And I think that's that's another one of those issues where I just feel very, very privileged as well as my, my family always supported me. There was never any rejection or any, any, they never asked stupid questions. They were like, yeah, okay, fine. It's the way it is. And, and we're going to support you all the way. And that's when I also realized, okay, I don't have to protect them. They can protect themselves. So. Can I ask a stupid question? I was Please told <laughs> or introduced to you online by someone who said that you are a heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And is that a stupid question? Yes. No, it's a good question. No, that's a very good you're question. Our first Actually, yeah. heterosexual man. Welcome. You're the first I'm, hetero in the puzzle. I'm your first heterosexual yeah. man, really? Yeah. Wow. Look at you. You popped out cherries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a few, but not on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really want to commend you on your work because I know a good few straight men live in HIV in Ireland. And many of them are unwilling to be out about their status. Now, I'm not generalizing the reasoning to all straight men living with HIV, but the reasons that I heard was they are afraid of being called bisexual. They are afraid of people thinking that they injected drugs or they're afraid that they uh, are always unfaithful to be considered that or that they have sex with sex workers. Now, on caveat, nothing's wrong with any of these things, right? <laughs> nothing's wrong. That's the weekend for me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's just a Friday night. <laughs> but, um, and it's riddled in biphobia and, you know, uh, stigmatization to sex work, so on and so forth. Um, but what I'm hearing from you is that one of the reasons why you didn't want to come out is because of your family. Well, I think, like, looking back, it's, it's hard to say, uh, but I'm pretty sure some of these these fears were also mine. Like, maybe not outspoken, but in the back of my head, there was that that fear of, my God, what will people think? Will they think I'm gay? Will, I, will they think I take drugs, sleep with sex workers or, or whatnot? And and then I sort of realized, my God, I'm a, I'm a straight white man from Central Europe. I've never had to deal with, with being discriminated against or not to my knowledge. And if I can't stick my head out, 
how can I put that burden on other people who, who deal with so much other discrimination? And it's it came to a point, I think that's one of the reasons I I started doing all of this, is, is this frustration with other straight men, with, with those under uh, parenthesis uh, masculinity issues uh, that I just have to criticize. You're making or... me tear up a bit here, Christopher. I just find that so brilliant mm-hmm. and really moving, you know? It's true. Um, I have a... My frustration tends to have that. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's great, <laughs> though, because I feel like, you know, it's a it's a very hard box to get out of mm-hmm. uh, living with HIV regardless. But I think for a lot of straight men, they're seen as being the villain of the piece always. Mm-hmm. And it's easier. I was saying to Robbie earlier uh, today, it's easier. It comes more natural to me as a feminine guy to champion women and to concern myself with women living with HIV. But it really took um, reading your website more and getting to know you a bit more online for me to think deeper into the situation mm-hmm. or what a straight guy living with HIV must go through and also how toxic masculinity just paints you into a corner that you can't get out of, you know? I always speak to my uh, gay friends how, in a way, the HIV topic is so much easier in their community because so many people know so much more about it. They know about you equals you. Two years ago, I was on a date and the girl asked me, can I get that through kissing? And those are things where you're just, for fuck's sake. (laughs) What is dating like as a heterosexual man living with HIV? Because you're a very handsome man, if you don't uh, mind me saying. So, like, you're obviously going on a lot of dates. Yeah, the quality of the video. <laughs> <is amazing. laughs> the lights behind, not in front. <laughs> so, what's the dating life like? This whole process of coming to terms with HIV. I started really getting into the topic of sexuality and masculinity issues. And, of course, uh, occasionally there's the, the re- rejection because of HIV. But in the end, I'm... I'm dating more than ever and I'm also my sex life has improved so much more since I confronted those masculinity issues that I grew up with that I I thought of being normal before my diagnosis until I always say the diagnosis took away my sexuality for a while it really like you're not I wasn't able to let go because I would there was always this fear in the back of my head and then I started started reading about sexuality and practices and and all these beautiful, beautiful things. Uh, <laughs> and it, it revealed a new world to me. And I think my, uh, my lovers would agree. I, ooh, <laughs> I like this. It's, getting, it's gone in the direction that I want. But um, I was reading your blog and like, I was really struck um, reading it. I actually had to take a moment to reflect on what you said because you, you, you wrote down, I enjoy sex more now because I've learned its worth. And I just find that so powerful we can have sex so much and we don't really know what it means for us or like um what it's worth is for us we just have it for the sake of having it so could you just expand on that maybe a little bit more well it comes back to that um uh, the, the first fear question actually that i was i was afraid if i if i out myself i'm never gonna have sex again women will always why I, I felt second hand um a secondhand product like who would want this i feel poisonous i feel used i feel uh, i just don't feel attractive or confident and i really thought for a while my god i'm never gonna have sex again unless i don't reveal my status and and it's exactly that that i sort of learned to live with that and and learn to let go again and and being really open and reflective about it especially 
<laughs> coming back to toxic masculinity, the shit women have to go through on dates. <laughs> and then actually being someone who talks about his vulnerabilities, it can actually be a, quite a plus point sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes. I always say when you let down your guard and tell someone that you live with HIV and you're, you show vulnerability, they, they show it 10 times back a lot of the time. Exactly. Yeah, it's a relationship. And I, I also learned how to deal with it like, or how to say it because at the beginning I was like really shy and saying, oh my God, this is really horrible. I'm HIV positive. But, but nowadays I just talk to it like on the side. Yeah, yeah, that's a certain, that's a given. I, don't worry about it. It's that confidence you have to sort of project. Oh my God, you need to, to have your own aftershave, Christopher. It's yeah. like the most woke, sexy, <laughs> no, straight guy patter I've ever heard, you it know? Is. Yeah, I bet you know where the clitoris is, that's mm. for sure. <laughs> when a guy talks like that, you're like, he knows where the clitoris yes. is. <laughs> but it, it's interesting. You have, was a HIV that gave you such an idea of what masculinity is or how it is toxic? Or did you have a good idea about that beforehand? I had a good idea about it beforehand, but uh, when it does, when you're not concerned yeah. about it, like why why should I bother? Like I I was always in a in a creative environment with I, I worked as a photographer uh, with gay, straight, women, everything, and and I was always on the liberal side and every always very inclusive, but it still never concerned me personally, and that's why I always thought, yeah, okay, I, I support your cause, but yeah, I don't really get involved. And then all of a sudden, I was put into that position where I had to get involved. Or, like most people, you can live normally with it now. Uh -huh. So they shut up about it. But that was just not an option for me. Can you tell me, actually, <laughs> I think we, we skipped by it, but can you tell me about your diagnosis? You were in India. Like, what was it like? It was weird. I love the story, though. Oh, tell us. <laughs> You're in a good place for that. <laughs> I, I I lived the like the the photographer life. Like I had I, I did my fashion photography in Austria, and then I uh, at once a year I did my social story somewhere, usually in India or Pakistan. And I was doing this story about human trafficking, and we had a few days da uh, downtime. And there's the Osho Ashram, this meditation center in the south of Mumbai. Uh, and my colleague said, "Yeah, let's let's check it out. I mean, we have a few days." I've heard good things about it or weird things that maybe we can get a story out of it. And at the time you needed, you had to do an HIV test to get in. Mm -hmm. And so I just go there unassuming and, and suddenly my, my test comes back positive. <laughs> it, of course, at the beginning, you don't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I didn't think it was, I mean, I'm in India, how correct can they be? And that sort of attitude, but then it sort of dawned on me and, the irony is that a few months earlier, I got incredibly sick. And, and looking back, also looking at the viral load much, much later, I realized that was a time when HIV really started in me. And no one ever tested for it because I'm a straight white man. And a lot of people I work with now, a lot of women, they, they're late presenters because no one ever tests them. Wow. And I'm so glad you said that and you said it so well. It's true though. And it's scary. How do we encourage, because you're a pioneer in my opinion, in Europe as a straight man coming out and advocating for HIV. How do we encourage men to be advocates like yourself? I do not know what I, what I do like. I think one of the reasons I, I try putting like also very provocative titles like how HIV improved my sex life I think by putting another spin on it to because everyone 
knows about HIV in a certain way. Like, yeah, yeah, we know about use condoms, blah, blah, blah. We've been told that since the 80s, done. But no one knows about any detail and no one knows any further. Like it's, it seems the knowledge has, that message has just been repeated over and over and no one's listening anymore. And I think it's just the, the way of communication must be different. And if 50% of new diagnoses in the world are women, how are they getting it? You know what I mean? That's exactly the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all of these guys who are non-diagnosed, not testing, just out there in the world, mm-hmm. probably predominantly straight guys. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the next issue is, of course, the, 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 let's say, social atmosphere right now. Like I, I approach papers saying, hey, I want to write about HIV and da, da, da. Well, you're a straight white man. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> at the moment, we don't, we really don't want to hear from you, which I understand. But at the same time, it sort of, it doesn't yeah, help. In, in this instance, you're the minority. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You That's what I was going to say. You're the 1% of the 1%. <laughs> like you are like you a are. hen's tooth. Yeah. That's crazy. I think there's a lot of targeted campaigns for women and young girls around the world and uh, key populations such as sex workers, people inject drugs and gay by men around the world. But there's very little targeted interventions for straight men around the world, cis straight men. So I do think that um, there does need to be advocates and activists like you. And I do think you need to get every single news article you can out there. And I think everyone needs to know that you have the best sex life ever and live with HIV. <laughs> that will encourage other straight men living with HIV to come out. Isn't it interesting how stigma works, even in a, in a society where most of the power and money rests with straight white mm. men? There's so much stigma attached to HIV that they won't even protect themselves from it. You know, um, yeah. they will activate yeah. themselves to, to protect women and young girls. You know what I mean? But I won't actually address the reality, mm-hmm. which is that it's not only coming for you, it's already in you. Mm-hmm. You're just yeah. not testing for it. So we don't have the data. I think one of the, the ways is always, as, as for most of these health issues, is going through women. If, if women are more and more informed, that will translate to straight men Isn't as well. wild though? They have still the, babies all yeah. the way through adulthood but waiting also, for someone to mother them. Exactly. They're placing the emphasis on the women yeah. to do the job. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a real good study nice. about uh, how women experience shame in Ireland and my friend Ellie Marley done it for a PhD. And one of the questions oh, during our interviews, the women were like, there's always, just feels like there's pressure on women to come out about their status. She's like, but where's the straight men? Why are we the ones that always have to come out? There's no pressure on the straight men. And I don't think it's to do either or. I think actually we need as much representation as possible to show that HIV mm. can affect everyone, every everyone. single person. So that's why, again, we're just so amazed that you're here talking to us. I really think that many people living with HIV in Ireland will really respond well to it. And shout out to Ellie Marley and all the Marleys. Yeah. And, uh, Her study is called No Woman, No Cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's available on Twitter. I've seen Ziggy Marley at Glastonbury. Oh my you're God, he was kidding. amazing. Oh. Um, my last question before we bring on our next guest, because you do say it through your story, but you also talk about your HIV through your art. And do you have an exhibition called going viral how it's hard it's vulnerable showing your art but it's very vulnerable showing hiv through your art how, how was that for you it's really strange like uh i want to do more and i've worked on more projects than that but it's, it's sort of like uh what i said before hiv is just not a topic anymore and i really was thinking of, of doing a show titled if i would die from this people would care mm. because that's sort of the attitude towards it looking at aids activism over the past years from the 80s to the 90s it suddenly stopped completely mm-hmm. 
it's, it's it's become such a niche topic that no one really cares. Galleries don't care, and it's it's like I I with two other artists, no three other artists. Last year we did the first show in Paris of open the HIV artists ever. Wow. And it didn't get any media coverage. And that'd be, that's where you just see, okay, yeah, no one, no one cares anymore. And so it's, it's a bit of a struggle, but I, I, I guess it, get, it sometimes gets reduced to these self-help groups and, okay, let, let's paint our feelings, which, yeah, Don't horrible, lose faith, but... though, because your message is really important. And what you're doing is important. And sometimes I feel like you feel like you're just banging on the door and nobody's going to let you in as an activist, but the door will open. Mm-hmm. And definitely everything that you're doing is so impressive. You have an amazing website. Tell us mm-hmm. about your website for our listeners. My main website is cklettermeyer.com. So C-K-L-E-T-T-E. R M A Y E. You have links. Um, and my my Instagram is ongoing viral. Ongoing viral. Love it. Great. Thanks so much. And stay with us because we will um, be asking more questions. But let's bring on our next guest, Veda. Okay, folks. I'm delighted. Like, it's a real honor. I have a sister of mine, a fellow alternative Miss Ireland, an amazing actress and performer, comedian, <laughs> the fabulous Neil Watkins, also known as Heidi Kant, is here. Wow. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome, Heidi. Heidi. Hi. Earliest I've been up in years. Are you still up? I'm still up. I'm just about getting it together. Thanks very much. You're very welcome. Yeah, great to be here. Lovely to listen to the conversation and mm-hmm. lovely to hear you, Chris. It's so good to see you, babe. We're neighbours, by the way. Not yeah. only are we ex-beauty queens, Robbie also was a Mr. Gay World. Uh, Ireland? Ireland. Second runner-up in Mr. Gay World, so, would you believe? I know. Yeah. Oh my God. So, a trio. We're of, amazing. Of yeah. Chris, you're champion. beautiful as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. <laughs> I haven't won anything yet. Yeah, well, we're when joining you, a pageant for straight <laughs> Guys, I highly HIV, recommend and it. And I think that yeah. you are in the lead. Yeah. <laughs> you won our hearts anyways. Uh-huh. Um, so, Neil, you live with HIV? I do. Do you know what, though? Like, I don't even get time to think about it. I'm so busy living with other shit. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. And it's like, coming here, I'm like, God, I never get to talk about it. That maybe that's a bit of a problem. So I do want to say thank you for holding this space. And mm-hmm. it's like helpful for me even just to have an opportunity to check in about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so used to just, I used to go on about it a lot. Like mm-hmm. I was going to ask, do you think that's why? Like you were so brilliant, active, creative yeah. at the start. And you really bear your soul yeah. about your HIV. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder if I'm going to get some kind of weird burnout from that mm-hmm. as well. You, do you need to get to a place where you don't care so much to feel yeah. okay again? I think I, I think I got such a hardcore chronic pain condition that was separate wow. to it. And you were around for for some of it and you introduced me to Bikram. And um, I, I had to go. I, was, I just loved your story about going into the ashram. I thought, mm-hmm. Jesus, here's like life inviting you to connect with yourself. Yeah. And you connect with yourself with this little bit of poison that sends you on a path and you know a different way than you expected but i just have i've had to spend so much time dealing with that condition which i don't know if you know my face does these involuntary things now which wow. is great fun in front mm-hmm. of people um that and like, what is the condition can you tell it's us it's a fucking mad spiritual condition that like talk about stigma uh-huh. like hiv for for me is nothing compared mm-hmm. to this shit uh-huh. it's it's called a kundalini awakening and i hate even saying it because literally the response i usually get is 
As long as it works for you. <laughs> it's, like, it's not that it fucking works for me. It's what happened. Yeah. But it's so fucking out there. And mm-hmm. to do with spirituality and to do with yoga, that most people's eyes glaze over. Mm-hmm. So for me, HIV with like having a film with Tom Hanks and all dying of AIDS, there's a context for that. There's uh-huh. podcasts here for that. And uh-huh. there's people with real brains and real jobs uh-huh. have HIV. But uh-huh. Kundalini awakening people... Kondalini Nadini. <laughs> Listen up. <laughs> Can I ask, uh, you, you said you'd like to reconnect with your HIV story a little bit. Well, I found out because, you know, I was, gay, I was a gay man having sex. And so I was going to the, the health clinic to, to check in on a regular basis. And the night before Paddy's Day, 2004, I found out. And the doctor came into the room with such a long face. I was like, why the long face? And I just think if you're going to give someone bad news, why do you have to rub it in with a long face? Mm -hmm. Like soften the blow. Tell me to fuck off nicely. (laughs) And um, so I just really remember that. She kind of looked at the paper and looked at me with a a long face and looked down again and kind of shook her head forlorn. And almost, I, I felt a bit... I felt a bit of judgment and fear. Uh-huh. It's like, why do you need to do it like this? It was almost in slow motion. I was like, is it bad? And she was like, yeah. I was like, is it HIV? And she was like, yeah. So that was it. Yeah, like that moment of going from being a tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy who was like, had a rich boyfriend for a while and fancy clothes and a fancy life to sitting in James's with, in my opinion, everyone else who had fallen from grace mm-hmm. and I was down there with them. It was a it was a very grounding, humbling experience. And of course now after like ha- being forced to go into fucking silent retreats and all, like I'd rather be at an orgy or something. Do you know what I mean? But I have to do this shit. Mm-hmm. I know that um there's great lessons in gold to be found in these things and, yeah. and we form connections mm-hmm. through through the shit. But um, it was a very challenging and depressing time for me. And I remember just having a, re- I, not not telling anyone, not telling my family for three years. And the only reason I did is because the way the depression of it had impacted on me, combined also with this chronic pain thing that I had gone on. So I had to, I had to, people were like, what's wrong? Are you on drugs? Like, and I wasn't, I actually wasn't on drugs then. I was on drugs later. I was, well, just weed. Mm-hmm. morning noon, and night so yeah tough and i had told three friends i'd told two girlfriends of mine who remain my my close besties because we don't fucking put too much pressure on each other that's mm-hmm. been the secret of that relationship but i remember just staying in my friend's Sinead's bed that night uh and that's just been vital i was so i was so brokenhearted and yeah. um it was the end of innocence it was the end of freedom for me like it's grand now i know i like but it was the end of maybe a childishness or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember crying in Gruel in the basement mm-hmm. of Gruel, and I was and I I remember thinking, I bet they know. I bet everyone knows what's going on with me. You know, it's just mm-hmm. completely. It's wild, isn't it? That nobody knows what's going on. No, with you haven't been there myself. Yeah, you know I mean nobody um, yeah, knows. Yeah. They just yeah. think you're a horrible person. <laughs> 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 It's my big nose. No, it's my big nose. 
<laughs> and can I ask because you went from telling no one except for your three friends oh, right, yeah. to Veda said that you were sharing it through your art. Yeah. Like what was the progression from no one to your art? Well, similar to Chris, you know, like so picture it. March two thousand and four. Gruel is on and um, Alternative Miss Ireland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like fuck it. I'm just gonna do this drag character. Because mm -hmm. I'd been to drama school in London, a, a serious drama school. I, I felt quite serious about it. And I, the world and conditioning was telling me that I should be as masculine as possible and following the footsteps of the Illumini of that school I'd went to, mm -hmm. I'd gone to. And I, I was just like, fuck it, in Gruel, I'll, I'll enter Alternative Miss Ireland next year. And I'm going to win. And I'm going to be called Heidi. No, my, my friend sitting opposite me said, you could be called Heidi. And I just went cunt. And, <laughs> and Heidi cunt was born. And the following year, <laughs> I entered AMI. So Heidi was born from the darkness of, wow. of the diagnosis, I and think. And you could tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Was it a dark set or well, a funny? I guess I didn't know. But if I, if I look back and I try to understand it and analyze it, I go, yeah. She was quite a dominatrix, right? That was kind of <laughs> oh, nice. But it pushed me into this place that I thought I'd never have the guts to be in, which ultimately, like, I'm so grateful for meeting you and, and Rory and and you grow up and you go you're going to the George and then you get to be in the fucking dressing room mm -hmm. and you did my makeup and all like so like just my a real pleasure, just, baby. just a real special real special memories mm -hmm. were born from it and not everyone gets to do that so I think I think you know I I guess for me art the the, the art that I feel the most that I could give a fuck about is when I'm expressing something that is I'm frustrated about that I can't talk about mm -hmm. in everyday life. And I really felt my family just were not having the conversation. And I and my condolences for your family members who've passed from mm -hmm. cancer. My my mother had Thank cancer you. and she was able to have great crack with that. She was able to go and buy a wig um with her sister and her sister-in-law and make a day of it up. i'm not mm. saying it was the best fun ever i wasn't allowed to even have a fucking conversation yeah so i remember and like again i'm okay i'm okay with it now but i really resented that so i had to just go there were so many things i found i couldn't talk about uh relating to sexuality and I guess with Heidi, it was it, it was so over the top. Mm -hmm. I need I needed to be validated. Yeah. I I just did, and so and I needed to reach out in a way to not to just appeal to um, nightclub audiences, but perhaps to the ghost of my ex boyfriend who was such an intellectual. Mm. Um, I wanted to reach that crowd as well, so mm -hmm. I chose to present this in the most wanky, indulgent, intellectual <laughs> way that I could. Brilliant. So I wrote a poem, which I think is wank. <laughs> Do you still know the poem? Of course. Can oh, you say the poem? Oh, say the poem. Say the poem. Well, I wrote it in iambic pentameter, okay, which is how it. I believe what Shakespeare wrote. What language <laughs> um, See, you're asking, you're putting me on the spot now. And, okay, well, and you we can take a moment to, cause it's not live TV, babe. Well, let me see. Good. Let me, let me see what I can remember. 
Great spirit and great mystery, hear my prayer. Bless all the beings gathered in this room. Ah, fuck, see, I don't remember. I am Neil Martin Watkins, and I am a sex and love addicted innocent. There's patterns I've adopted that would taint the love of saints. I wank, therefore, I slam. It's normal to love sex, to love, to love. But it's not healthy when you're feeling shame, when sex becomes a drug to kill your pain, when pain is all your sex life smacking off. I'm into every act the mind can dream, but intimacy isn't on the list. For me to come, I'm either stoned or pissed, so I'm not really there to hear my screams. This intimacy thing flies over my head. I'm startled when I seize that same sex bliss. Why haven't I been healed by true love's kiss? And so I wank because I haven't healed, I think. Wow. Oh my God, that was so wonderful. I don't, I don't know where that wow. came from. Thank you. I don't, know, I don't know how that's in there. I'll tell you how it's in there because I'm a fucking attention seeking whore. <laughs> and, <laughs> like the best of us. And as I was telling, and I had this beautiful moment with my parents the other night that only took 45 years to happen. And, you know, I used to pray every night that I wasn't gay. And my mom just looked at me and she said, sorry. And wow. I cannot, wow. I cannot say how powerful that is. And it sounds so small. It's just one word, but it was the look in her face. And somehow we, we got talking about the year of magical wanking. And I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a I, I, what a transition. <laughs> yeah, but like, I, 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 there probably she was it. It, <laughs> <laughs> the kids. She plays herself. <laughs> Basically, I came back from doing the Year of Magical Wanking in Australia. No one else in my fucking family is fucking toured with a show funded by Culture Ireland. Mm. You know, with, with really amazing reviews. I get why my parents mightn't have been able to have a conversation about that because it deals with me being HIV positive. It deals yeah. with sex addiction. Again, when I came back from that tour, they didn't even ask me how it went. It was yeah. fucking mad. Mm -hmm. And so just the other night, we've had, we've had a lot of healing in the past few months. My dad, he just said it went, it went so well for you. But the point is, the reason it's there is because after doing it for three months, I took a week off to go to Uluru, Ayers Rock, that dingo mm -hmm. took my baby. Uh -huh. And on the way back in the van, I did the, did the show in the seat for these two guys, you know, just because I'm, I'm an attention <laughs> bastard. But it was just in that moment, my dad was like, it went so well for you. I understand. And again, that just took a long time Validation. to get these simple acknowledgements. Mm -hmm. And when you're not getting who you are validated, it creates lots of weirdness. Resentment. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I've had was the insight, a, a very compelling voice that came to me to say, tell your story. We all need to tell our stories because when you're you're not seen and you're not heard, it creates such fucking weirdness. Mm -hmm. So well, you look for that validation, don't you, in every other area? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you try to, dangerous. to try to fill the void in in other ways. Yeah. And how do you feel now after having that with your parents? I feel great. You know, like my, the the reason I think it came about was because I've done shitloads of therapy and yeah. But really. A friend of mine was presenting his work in, in the Abbey Theatre for Bielton, a festival. And I sang some of the songs from a, a piece called Silver Stars. Which, oh, my God. Yeah. Did you sing 
I love you more than yeah. God. I'm going to cry again. In the Abbey. And wow. my mom never came to see Silver Stars. No way. I'm just going to jump in and explain yeah. for our listeners a little bit. You have this amazing song with Tim O'Donovan. He's involved in the song. I love him. And we, yeah. we collab as well. And it's, it's called I Love You More Than God. Yeah, is written it? by, yeah, composed by Sean Miller. And it's stunning. It absolutely makes me sob as a queer man living with HIV. Yeah. It just reaches in and squeezes me in my heart. Um, sing it. Thank just, you. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. Put it in the show notes. But I can't believe you finally got to perform that for your mom. Wow. In the fucking Abbey, Sunday night in May. Wow, not and shabby oh, in the Abbey, so baby. Da- wow. And when we did More Than God, we all had to hold photographs of our mother. Oh, and she wouldn't come to see the show in the project. And she, she had been going through chemo. Now, mm. that depletes your system. Of course. God knows how. I haven't gone through it. Um, so. What it, a moment it for was you. Tough. Yeah. What so a turning We point. came to that. And she, they said that in the days that followed that, they said they just kept um, squeezing each other's hands, touching each other. And they were just so proud. And I'm like, finally. Because when you say to your parents, you're an actor, you'll be in the Abbey one day. It doesn't matter what play you've written, if it's published, if intellectuals like it. What matters is if you're in the Abbey or if you're in Fair City in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I said to me, I'm a bishop. I'll be in the Abbey one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. didn't, he didn't so, believe me and he was right. Yeah. But you, girl, you came through on your promise. promise. Yes. I'm so proud of you. Well, thank you. Just in case we didn't really emphasize enough, you're an amazing actor, mm. an amazing talent, and you've done lots of great shit. You talk yourself down as if you've just been at home doing yoga and dealing with chronic mm. pain, when actually, you know, you're a very important person on the mm. scene here in Ireland. Yeah. And thank you. Christopher, what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah. Your, your work is exquisite. Mm-hmm. How do you use your work you. to get your message out there further? I think if I knew, I would have a bigger well, audience. I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going <laughs> to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's the motivation behind your work? Well, the writing started with the basically also, um, I always find, find writing as a form of therapy. And I also, I think that's that's actually a very important point. I also had therapy for for years as well because I think that's also a very overlooked thing in, in combating the HIV, the guilt issues, and things like that. Uh, the photography, I I just always. The funny thing is, I was never into art photography in that sense. I was always a, a photojournalist at heart. I wanted to tell stories. And the idea behind the the art photography was basically turning the cam- camera around mm-hmm. and, and doing that story on me. And what is what is it like living with HIV and how do I perceive that? And, and that has grown into different projects about uh, uh, like I, one of them called The Privilege of Intimacy, mm-hmm. which also sort of goes oh. into the, the, the beautiful poem just now. Like you can have all the sex in the world, but you you don't have intimacy. And, and even married couples, even people like in, in the Catholic classic Nuclear family, uh, construct yeah. have no intimacy. And, and I don't know, those, those sorts of things keep on coming up. And that's what I sort of try to do sometimes in, in the photography. Like a diagnosis is the closing and the opening yes. of a chapter. And for me, one of those really weird instances was when when i saw my my cd4 levels and knowing the rates from the very beginning of my diagnosis and thinking my god if i would not have medication i would have passed away by now and so for me everything is over time and it 
gave me and and I mean we all know we're gonna die, but with a diagnosis like that, you're it's it's probably similar like with a cancer diagnosis. It's sort of you become a bit more aware of that, and that's where these questions come up. Okay, how do I want the rest of my life to look like? Do I want to sit down and complain, or do I want to do something about yeah. that? We rise from the ashes. We're phoenixes. Exactly. We do. We do. Phoenixes? Is phoenixes? That, is that plural? Is that Spelling? Phoenians. <laughs> We're Phoenians. I, I, I think I, I, we should wrap up on that note. We just went through so much, and I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story, yeah. sharing your art. We'll put um, your handles into our show notes. But we always like to end on a kind of positive note or an inspirational note. So we like to ask each guest what they like to say, who their HIV hero is. It could be someone living with HIV, it could be just your mom. If, like, whoever really helped you on your HIV journey. Well, of course you guys for, for doing this. Aww. And definitely Open Heart House, mm -hmm. which was just magically, you know, I moved into my granny's flat and went after they died illegally and hung out there for about three years. So Open Heart House is right across the road. I used to go in practically every day for acupuncture, lunch. It's really holistic. Um, support wasn't it network. it was deadly and there were beautiful people there and there was a girl called Maggie on the on the desk who's no longer here on planet earth um, so they're they're kind of angels who I might check in with every now and again I love that for people who don't know Open Heart House was a HIV support network for people in Ireland and it closed down around 2014 I remember being in Eason's uh, working there reading the newspaper two years after my HIV diagnosis and the TD said isn't it great that we live in a country that we don't need Open Heart House for anymore oh and I was like uh, excuse me I'm feeling all this internalized stigma. I heard all my friends getting all this stigma. We need this just as much as we needed it before. Um, so that was really shocking. But I'm just so happy that you gave a shout out to Open Heart House. We need to fight for these supports in our country again. Yeah. And how about you, Chris? Oh, definitely my family and my best friends. Like I called my brother the same night where the first suspicion of HIV came came up, and I called him that night, and we spoke, and he was my my anchor. What's his name? As Chris? well as my best friend. What's his name? Matthias. Matthias. Shout out to him. Yeah. And generally, like all, all my friends and how, how I've always felt safe. I never felt, I mean, of course, you know, everyone feels alone every every once in a while, but never feeling excluded or I was I was always in a very, very safe environment. Also, my best friend, Joanna, who's here. Well, clearly, I'm a little bit prejudiced, but I always say if you have friends who are living with HIV, just love them a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. Just once in a while, you know, they might need it. It's a great excuse to love on someone really hard is knowing that they've had that trauma. And we love on you real hard, Chris. Yes. Welcome to the Pause Vibe <laughs> tribe, Chris. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me and letting me express We're gonna myself. We're going to have a, a horde of Irish women throwing themselves at you after this. <laughs> Neil, are you single? Uh, yeah. Okay, we're going to have loads <laughs> of gay men you. you are beautiful. I wanna... Okay, on that note, I would just like to thank all the <laughs> listeners. I'd like to thank our lovely guests. Until next time, stay positive and stay Very powerful. powerful. Yes. If you enjoyed this week's episode, help us spread the word by leaving five stars and a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Pause Vibe Podcast on Instagram and Twitter too. Until next week, stay positive and stay powerful. Pause power. Stop the stigma. Zig-a-zig-ah.